and welcome to the Fundamental Value Podcast, hosted by Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with leading analysts, traditional finance and digital asset firms, and investigate how leading minds in the cryptocurrency space, research, analyze, and quantify the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Steve Walbrell, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Halborn. Steve, it's great to have you on. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think we need to start with the obvious question. There are five guitars behind you, but you gave me a tour earlier, and it turns out there are a lot more guitar. There are synths. There are platinum records on the wall. Yeah, so, I'm so doing this in, it, in my recording studio I, right now, honestly. So um, usually I thought this I, was a crypto podcast. So <laughs> yeah, you know, let's 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 yeah. talk about music. So so tell tell me a little bit about yourself and and your and your life before crypto. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. First of all, usually I have like a Zoom background, so you don't see everything going on. And like I came on here as Zencaster, like, wait, there's no background here. So now I'm exposed. Uh, so <laughs> things here. But um, yeah, so I'm in my studio. I have a big musical background in my personal life. And, you know, it's it kind of goes along as like ha- the hacker side of my brain is also like the musical creative side. So before Halborn existed and I was like, you know, co-founded that, uh, went on tour with a rock band, played guitar and, uh, you know, opened up for Bon Jovi and for Nickelback, and Metallica. And it was great, like lived the rock and roll life, but uh, I got paid in beer and groupies. Uh, so <laughs> you know, eventually, uh, you know, didn't work out, came back as like, all right, back to the office, started doing more like you know, building of that. And um, I was DJing a bit. I was, you know, producing music, did some great production. I can, since you requested it, I can show you, uh, you know, here's the, all the synths for the production. And then um, for the the music, I can't sing. That's my problem. I am a terrible singer. So all I could do is make the music. So I made it for uh, here, like Britney Spears and Travis McCoy. So I did some songs for her. And uh, awesome. you know, my, it's my band here for it. So, yeah, I decided, um, yeah, I still do new music, but now it's the music business is terrible. So I just do the music for myself and Halborn is my uh, my business side here for protecting all the DeFi hacks and stuff. And I actually treat Halborn kind of like my band, anyways. Like it's the Halborn is one big band. All the employees here are are like kind of rock stars in themselves. That's awesome. So so all right. So started your life as a rock star, writing songs for Britney Spears, and then you found shit coins and crypto how, how did that happen yeah so i found bitcoin first and bitcoin is not a shit coin I, i'm <laughs> with you i'm with you i'm with you <laughs> yeah bitcoin is true scarcity um no, so I, I my professional life i was working at ibm uh, and you know was managing the pen testing team there uh we were doing a lot of the internal hacks uh for and and, and testing and auditing like any mergers and acquisitions that ibm was doing one of them was Stellar, uh, which is like a, a coin that they're doing for WorldPay systems and all of the, you know, making sure it's like Swift compatible. And so I was hacking that. So I had like early on smart contract experience. And during that time, I, you know, I found Bitcoin became obsessed with like crypto and blockchain from like just philosophical and technical reasons. And my, met my partner, uh, my, my partner now at Halborn, didn't know him. He was, a, oh, he owned a marketing company called Token Agency. 
and he was making all the marketing for the you know the these shit coins for it for example and I followed his Slack, kind of like kept up with him because he was very like an influencer and I got all the alpha from him. And one day he said, hey, does anybody know how to audit uh, smart contracts or blockchain? Because one of my clients is getting hacked and we don't know like what to do. This is like before like, you know, Halborn existed. So I was like, I know how to do it. I, I did this before. So he's like, great. How much uh, how much do you charge for uh, for auditing a smart contract? I'm like, yeah, like, you know, 50K. He's like, OK, sure. I'm like, whoa. That worked. And, oh, this is like when I make it like a half a year at, at, at my job. So, okay. And then it happened again and it happened again. And then we decided like, yeah, it's a great business. Uh, you know, we ended up making Halborn and um, here we are from us two to over a hundred people now. So, you know, there were, yeah, my, ne my next question was, what was your motivation to, to found Halborn? And I think that's very clear, right? It's holy shit. This is, it's a lot of money in this and there's clearly a problem, but there were a lot of other uh, cybersecurity and blockchain audit firms out there when you guys first started, right? There, there had been around. So what was kind of the gap that you guys saw in the market and what you were trying to fill? Yeah, the, like the motivation is like, you know, you know, financial part of it is there, but it's actually, we are doing good for the world. Like we're saving people's money that, and, and I want to see blockchain succeed in general because there's so much great use cases and that it can, it doesn't solve everything, but there's a lot that can solve and improve in technology for especially in financial trading so i want to see it have adoption you know in enterprises i want to see it have adoption in the financial world the you know the art world the supply chain world so what we the service we provide um is helping build trust and making sure it's like implemented correctly which is why we have you know our our provide um, the people we provide service for are everybody from like the smallest DeFi projects that are degening all the way to like uh, Bank in New York, you know, as one of our clients. So we uh, we secure end to end for it, and that's um, you know we do full coverage, not just smart contract auditing, and that's where we differ from our competitors. You know, to answer your question, they are uh, you know they're kind of like smart contract auditing factories, and they just do it really fast as much as they can, quantity over quality. We are very specific uh, on who we want to work with. And we care about quality over quantity. So, uh, you know, quality in the clients and quality in our work too. So we have like the best reputation for nobody's, you know, gets hacked after we do it because we take security end to end. We take it really seriously. So uh, that, that's our differentiator is that like enterprise end to end approach for doing everything blockchain and, and security. Yeah. So can you talk about those different uh, business lines that you guys have or, you know, what, what you guys do beyond just smart contract auditing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so... You know, my background being from the the, the corporate world, um, I know pretty much the whole spectrum of like cybersecurity, from compliance and policy um, to the infrastructure, you know, Web two or TradFi infrastructure, and the needs for that, um, all the way to like the unique edge case, weird like Solana program like uh, that are coming out and NFT vulnerabilities. So with all that understanding, we're able to be very like empathetic to institutions and provide uh, our security services where it needs. So we do uh, penetration testing, we do risk assessment uh, and compliance and due diligence, like third party due diligence. We do uh, the, smart, the smart contract outing, of course, DevOps monitoring and uh, security awareness training. Uh, so one, one advantage is that we uh, wrote the, uh, the book and the course for smart contract security and blockchain for SANS. SANS is like a huge um, security uh, education uh, institute. So 
we we do that, and all the students there are from like you know. Uh, actually, we just did last week. I had it, and there was like Disney, PayPal, Coinbase, uh, Exodus Wallet, a couple others were in the class too, teaching them. So we're able to like communicate that and like understand how they want to do it and make sure they do it correctly. So that's that's like all the services we offer, and now we do products too because we're um, now deploying different solutions, you know, for to meet those needs. And so one of the things that we see are tokens getting smart contract audits, but it feels like they just get smart contract audits at point in time, points in time, and then they like deploy more code and then they get hacked. And so, I mean, is that something that you, you see a lot and how do you like, when you're working with clients, how do you ensure that that doesn't happen? Because like, yeah, at one point in time, maybe even another firm audited them and it was fine, but then they just deployed a ton more code that no one never is. I mean, is that an issue you see a lot or? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, this is like the, the root cause for that issue. And what what happens is when they audit code, the mistake they're making is they're only looking at it in just its own little isolated contract. You know, it, it, they don't look at the environment. And a lot of the hacks that are happening right now, in, especially in like DeFi, is you're connected, you know, it's called composability. It's like environmental and financial based type of attacks where how do you test for a flash loan, for example, where you're borrowing liquidity from, you know, a, a smart contract protocol like Aave or something and using that liquidity to, you know, manipulate the price on uh, on side of like a, a pair. You, you, you can't really test for that accurately unless you consider the environment and the amount of liquidity. So that's why they get hacked. They're only, they're, kind of like looking at it in their own small, like isolated environment or like they look at the, the full picture of it. So that's that's really the biggest mistake that they're doing. Um, and the other being that it's highly complicated. And uh, once you go on the blockchain, you know, it's always there. It's public for everybody to see. Uh, the code can be audited by hackers there and you can't really undo the code or take it back on there unless you deploy it, you know, proxy contracts and stuff. That's, you know, a more technical conversation. So, yeah, that it's, you know, it's different. You're kind of like exposing yourself there. If you don't consider the environment, you know, you're not going to have a, a full security review. Yeah, so so let's actually go into proxy contracts a little bit. So how much more of a risk are proxy contracts? Proxy contracts, I think, are reduced. It's more risky to not have pro- proxy contracts uh, as far as having the security side. Because if you make a mistake, or you need to change something like it's think of it as like the way to patch, you know, do patch management on contracts sometimes where you can, oh, oh, crap, this has a vulnerability. The proxy contract acts as like a load, a of, like a switch. Yeah. So you say, oh, this one's bad. And let's switch it to this one. You deploy it and then you change the proxy there. So without that, you'd be like stuck, you know, with that one. And you have to make a massive refactoring. Uh, you know, especially if like your maybe your wallet or something is pointing to this, it's like hard coded now. There, uh, that's it. So proxy helps there. Um, you know, to eliminate the the, the issues of Im- immutability. So where are you guys finding the most vulnerabilities, kind of across the board, um, both on like a type of token level? Is it like with DeFi contracts versus NFTs? Like, is there is there like is there any sort of patterns? And also within them, like. How much are you finding vulnerabilities, like as opposed to on the smart contract level? Are you doing audits of like the website and things like that as well? Because like I presume like the Uniswap front end, as an example, could get hacked just as easily or maybe more easily. I don't know as the actual smart contract itself. Yeah. So when it comes to the most risky type of attacks right now in blockchain, 
is I, I would say bridges right now. Um, bridges. <laughs> so think of it like this: you have two different chains that don't talk to each other at all. It's like two different networks, and you want to trade, you know, liquidity between the two of them. How do you do it? You you have either wrapped assets like you know derivatives that you uh, create on one side. So now you have what do you do with the original native asset? You have to like lock it in a vault, you know, to get redeemed. Now you have like a vault with all of that liquidity, all that, all that assets and value. It's like, why go and try to hack individual ones like pickpocket, you know, like people when you could just go to the bank and like rob it. So they become high targets and they also are highly complicated because you're trying to like, you know, put a square peg in a round hole together on the bridge and you know, sometimes it's done wrong. Sometimes, you know, there's different vulnerabilities that you've never seen before. So like poly network hack uh, is like a great example, of like $600 million gone because they got access to like the, the bookkeeper, like the ad, the admin contract to authorize every transfer app. So just the complexity and the amount of value locked there just makes it the, the riskiest one. Um, and off chain, the, for the other question, like all the off chain components for it, you know, like the front ends, it all depends on like the nuances of the implementation. Like, are they storing a private key to sign for, for you? Um, you know, is it a Web3 backend or is it like a centralized server backend? Because uh, each one will have a different risk profile. So we, we look at the details and then based on the technology details, we'll uh, uh, pen test it, audit it, uh, or do a risk assessment as appropriate. And so can you talk about like some of the vulnerabilities that you helped clients find recently? I know you've written a couple um, example case studies on your website. Maybe you want to talk about those, but, or anything, you know, more specifically, I, I mean, it would be interesting yeah. if you could like even quantify how much money you think you've helped people save. I can definitely, way. yeah. So I can talk about a few. One, uh, which what's fun in the security world, they have this thing called like a zero day vulnerability. And that's where we found something new that we know about, the world does not know about it yet. And if they do, there's no fix for it. Uh, you know, what do we do? If it gets exposed, then there's like a mad rush to like fix it and like tons of people. So we found a zero day in um, every single browser crypto wallet, uh, almost every single one that would allow an attacker to steal the private key out of it uh, remotely. And if you think, if you try to quantify impact on that, you know, it's, yeah, every it's, single it's, asset that yeah, it's like everybody that wallet. doesn't use a ledger or treasure yeah. you know, yeah. uh, could be could be impacted by it. So when we found about that, you know, it's this is this is big, and you know, we there's a, a CVE for it, which is you know, it's like a vulnerability in the in the NIST database, like the government database of vulnerabilities. There's a finding there that, that you know to like say, hey, you know, the CVE number uh, 2022X is like the MetaMask vulnerability or every wallet vulnerability for it. So we had to manage that and, and like work with the developers kind of contain. So did you have to reach out to every single one of those wallets yes. and communicate before it, and hope it never got public that this was going on? Yeah. It's, it's like exploit bug money. First of all, it's convincing them that their baby is ugly. It's like, you know, Hey, we found a vulnerability. It's like, that's eh, not a vulnerability. It's hard to like really, show them the exploits and make them like take ownership of it. It's like the five stages of grief in a way. And so first of all, it's corralling that. And then we had a private signal chat of every wallet developer to like disclose it to all of them at once. Uh, and it was, you know, we had a lot of them, some of them took it seriously. Some of them were like, you know, you know, kind of have like a, a bit of like, 
oh, like, why did you like find this? Like, you have a bit of like shock. Um, it took about like nine months in order to finally get a fix implemented, upgraded, and then release it publicly. Uh, and that whole time, you know, it's like, is this going to so the entire time there? the risk exists, continued to exist while these guys sat on their hands and did nothing? Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're doing stuff. Some, some did a lot. Some didn't do anything waiting for the others to fix it. Because yeah. to, to be honest, like, I think the issue is where it's a systemic type of vulnerability. These are the ones that are the scariest where, you know, you have a vulnerability in one piece of code and everybody copies and forks it. You know, imagine if like, you know, open Zeppelin ERC 20 had a vulnerability, you know, how many, how many forks of it there? It's now it's like widespread impact, you know, cause everybody's cloning that vulnerability and, now you have like embedded, it's kind of like in the traditional security world, uh, they had that um, you know, a while ago, it was like Meltdown Inspector, like inside of the Intel chips. Uh, so Intel chips had a, a sidechain vulnerability. It's like every single computer is vulnerable right now until they have a, a you know, reason to it. So those are the ones that are the scariest or like just mass impactful ones for every, everybody because it's like a core asset involved with it. And so how do you find that? Like, are you guys looking for vulnerabilities specifically? Like, are there bounties that are out from these companies that basically are an incentive for you to go and do that work or? No, we don't work off of like external bounties. So we, Halborn is a security company, but yeah. I, I think we've, we're more of like research uh, researchers in a way, because what makes us really special compared to other pen test companies and why we eat their lunch on like everything and take all the businesses because we're, we're researching and we're actually putting in like the sweat to like learn this new technology, like inside and out. And uh, we're, we're applying that and finding these things to, to, you know, look for the nuances and these we're, di we're discovering these issues that nobody's seen before because, you know, a lot of, to, to be honest and like, just to be blunt, a lot of like, you know, security research companies or security, they're just like Googling everything and copying whatever everybody else does. And, you know, we say that. So, we're the pioneers uh, on that, like, you know, we're, and it's in blockchain, but Halborn in uh, our whole like essence is security for emerging technology. So blockchain, but also, you know, eventually IOT or AI security, anything that there's like a market need for it. It's like a new technology that is, you know, requires security. We're, we're the ones to be there to, to make sure that we do the research and define the security for it. So, you know, a lot of our listeners are investors, right? They're at hedge funds, uh, they're at venture funds, they're at prime brokers and all these different things. And, you know, a, a lot of those folks came from traditional financial markets backgrounds, right? And when when I think about analyzing a securities risk, right, or, yeah. or any asset, you know, I want to look at financial related risks like beta and correlation in a bunch of different metrics. Yeah. In crypto, there's a whole nother level of risk, which are beyond just market related risks, which are security risks. So how as an investor, do I start to think about this type of thing? Like you've now scared me, like these bridges are <laughs> at risk. These DeFi protocols all fork each other. They're all at risk. The wallets are at risk. How do I get comfortable with this? And how do I make decisions with conviction if there's all, yeah. and how do I even like, like how does somebody who's now coming into crypto that works at a large hedge fund get comfortable with these assets from a cybersecurity point of view. Yeah, it's so this is where, you know, you're flipping security uh, upside down when you approach DeFi. Uh, the first thing is like understand the protocols a bit uh, from the financial side, because this is very unique in cybersecurity. And what we do 
is you're not just like a code pen tester, like in traditional security, you have to know financial pen testing in a way, which is that environmental. So like, if you don't know how um, a lending and borrowing uh, DeFi protocol works and like what's the variable rate amount and what's like the liquidation ratio, uh, you know, how much margin do you have to have? You're not gonna be able to, to test that to know like, um, can I manipulate it to like liquidate people like before they hit their margin? Like you have, that, you have to understand how it works. So um, that's from the security side. And, you know, we see those things too. So as an investor, like a hedge fund, how do you protect yourself is, you know, trusting like, you know, just do your own smaller, like due diligence. Like has the code been audited, you know, or the project been audited um, by, by somebody like us or like other, you know, well-known um, security reviews. Um, has, you know, is the, the team that developed it, are they anonymous or are they like, you know, known? <laughs> is, there, is, there a, is there a pretty clear correlation? Like do anonymous developer teams tend to get, be more vulnerable or get hacked more than known teams? You know, it's like, this is the thing like with, with there has been both. Anonymous, yeah. I think is riskier because they have, you know, they're, they're not exposing themselves to, you know, any, well, you also have the rug pull risk associated with the right. anonymous developers. Yeah. Yes, you do. And, and there's been like rug pulls for just even known people, because if they don't have the controls behind it, this is something that we look for and we audit. If there's like the, the emergency withdrawal function, like the, the function that can just pull all the funds out and it's, Oh, I'm like the, you know, the project lead. And I know who you know, everybody knows who I am. It's like, Oh, I lost my key. Uh, somebody stole my key and they stole all of it. It's like, you know, did, did they, or was it a rug pull? It's like, or, you, you know, it's hard to know. So this is why we're, we're building solutions to help protect those type of um, instances. Cause you have to balance like the DeFi and openness of it along with like the security control, which you know, you can consider that centralized, but you know, it's like, you got to find the happy you know place in the middle of like control and security and like, uh, you know, decentralized finance. Otherwise it's just, why just why not just be in the bank as normal and like even use like smart contract stuff? So, do you think DeFi is ready for mainstream institutional adoption from like a cybersecurity perspective? I you know, so I think that what we need what like higher level or if you don't, what speaking, do you think is what are the steps? I, oh no, 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 I have I have like a very clear like why I want to see it succeed is we need to focus less on just gaining value and like about like token price go up and I made this much APY and focus more on using it for the benefits, uh, like non-value benefits. Like you can use smart contracts to do mortgage solutions where it, you can like close a home like way faster, have like an escrow contract, have a underwriter that, you know, contract that will, um, you know, figure out how much low, uh, LTV there is for a, an asset owner you can execute all of these like decisions, you know, you know, transparently cutting out, you know, extra excess costs of like agents and other brokers and, you know, close a home in like a couple of days, you know, because everything's like already programmed for the logic and, you know, it's, it's done. You can put assets and collateral up and see like, do you have assets in your wallet? Yes. Yeah, like that's like a financial service that you can replace the, the traditional system is way more efficient or even like, you know, cross-border payments uh, you could do, you know, insurance protocols. And these are like financial services that have nothing really to do with, um, you know, investment. It's about uh, efficiency and access accessibility and transparency and stuff. So that's, that's like one example of uh, what I'd like to see more of. 
And so, you know, we talked a little bit about institutional investors. What about individual investors, right? I mean, if it's if it takes all of this to build conviction in an asset, right? Um, you know, and, and doing review and understanding the token economics and stuff like that. I mean, I feel like in this industry, and I think it's broadly in finance, we see the retail investor getting totally screwed. Um, yeah. And I think that's definitely, you know, I, look, I don't know what the numbers are in terms of the the hacks and who's gotten impacted the most. I'm sure a lot of the larger hacks are a lot of institutional capital, but um, you know, curious how, how, you know, if you, you were talking to an individual who was asking you, Hey, you know, I, I'm really interested in DeFi. I want to play around with this, right? How do I get comfortable with, with particular things? Is, is it really as simple as, you know, the best answer is just like, look out for, you know, make sure that it's audited by a, a reputable smart contract audit firm. Is that, is that all they can do? So no, they could do, I think the first, a retail individual should ask themselves first, like, what is my goal? Like, what do I want to do? And my, there's no such thing as like quick, easy money. We all know that. <laughs> it's like, you know. What do you mean? I, I, I was in this market for a hundred X on every single token. Yeah. Right. I, I went a hundred, hundred X margin. Uh, like why did I get liquidated? It's like, they don't know about like, <laughs> they don't know about like algo bots. Like, Oh, somebody's deal. Let's go look. Let's like go you know, sell it really quick to liquidate them and push it back. It's like, why is there a big red wick right when I buy it? You know, it's, it's, you know, they don't understand that. So it's like, what are you in it for? Um, And there's a lot of things you could do besides like, you know, buy something and hold it. So the first is you're, you're, you're giving the access, you know, the, the key, if you're holding a key and you're owning that key, you now have like, you're the bank. So you're responsible for protecting that. And that's like the first thing that goes wrong is custody. They don't understand that. Like, you know, if you lose custody of the key, you're giving up your your rights to to own it. So that's one thing too. Is you're not, you know, there's a lot of custodial services now, which makes sense for like my grandma. You know, she's gonna give up her mnemonic phrase to like the first person to ask for it. So custody makes sense. But also like, what about like adding liquidity to like a liquidity pool or something, and you know, earning, you know, with your assets, letting it earn rewards through like swaps you know, on, on Uniswap. I mean, that's like an alternative way to do it. Yes, there's risks in the LPs, so don't put all your eggs in one basket. But, you know, if you are doing it for this reason, you can like actually earn some more for it. Um, maybe maybe your goal is not to like earn like so much high API in these risky assets. Maybe it's more about, you know, being able to, uh, you know, be part of a DAO and like, you know, get a governance token and vote for like ApeCoin for who you want to see, like the next Eminem concert for ApeCoin or something like What's your purpose? And then, you know, kind of go after that rather than just listening to whatever Elon Musk says. And so as we think about, you know, you mentioned actually earlier uh, bridging. and I, I had a question I forgot and, and remember it now. Are there particular, you know, when you're bridging an asset, right? Let's say you're bridging from Ethereum to Avalanche, there's two chains, right? And so you guys are naturally auditing contracts on multiple chains. Uh, are there any chains that are more difficult than others? Yes. Um, yes. So, yes. so what, is, what is exceptionally difficult and, and what is easier? So the uh, the ones that are easier are the ones that are like the same language, like EVM native, which yeah. means like Ethereum native ones, where it's like the same, at least the same programming language on each side, so they can talk to each other. They're like compatible. The difficult ones are ones that are like native assets of two chains, like Thorchain, for example, which is I love Thorchain. They're they're like the only ones really doing it with native assets and not derivatives, which I wholly respect. But it makes it extremely difficult because you have to find a way to uh, vault the native assets to to store it and to monitor it and keep track of a ledger on like 
two disparate systems uh, that like work completely different, like a proof of stake and a proof of proof of work here, C++ for Bitcoin and Rust for Solana and like, managing that effectively, um, you know, in a decentralized way is like so hard to do, like as far as like technical challenge. So those are way more difficult to uh, to comprehend and then also to audit. And so do you think we have, you know, enough developers in crypto and do you think we have developers that are really prepared for uh, the challenges, uh, you know, and, and vulnerabilities <laughs> that exist. In this I got to say that, that, that question that, that speaks home to me because like, like how we're my, like our business, our biggest risk is not getting business. Like we have to say no to so much goddamn business. It's about finding enough talented people to do it. Right. Like, you know, having the right skills and we're really picky on quality on it. We're not just going to hire like, any warm body, you know, just you know, because they have audit, you know, auditor on their LinkedIn, like that, that doesn't fly with me because there's too much risk for us as a reputation for it. So, um, develop finding developers for this is extremely hard, uh, you know, for everybody, not just us, um, that are good and also finding the, uh, you know, the skills involved for it. So that's why we focus, like my focus on it compared to my part is like internal training, um, internal knowledge sharing, uh, this is why I wrote the SANS course to teach and like take that those teachings inside. Um, even like getting a job, all of our engineers, I don't we don't interview anybody that with a good resume. Like you have to do a technical challenge. Like you have to hack something, write a report. We'll look at the report. If it's good, then you can get an interview. And then throughout the interview, we'll like kind of do trick questions to see if they cheated or copied it from somebody, which we see that too. And there's a lot of like filters and barriers to entry for it to finally get in the door. Um, and I wish more people would, could get through the door, but, uh, you know, it's, that's the biggest like uh, bottleneck we have right now is that's that the talent. So that actually grows well into my next question, which is you guys raised a $90 million series a, uh, and if it, it takes that much effort to land talent and to bring it in, it's going to take a very long time to spend, uh, those yeah. $90 million. And so how are you guys thinking about, uh, the future roadmap and path for you guys and, you know, obviously, I'm assuming you guys have big plans, given that it's not an inconsequential Series A. Yeah, no, we definitely do have big plans, and we don't want to waste the capital. Um, I'm very uh, obsessed with efficiency and and quality. Maybe I'm I'm German, so maybe that, that's just my nature. Your blood is like finding and like optimizing as much as we can from the people, uh, from the revenue, from the opportunities that we see. Because uh, in this space, there's so many things we could go down, like so many paths we can go down and opportunities that we can explore, like what's the best strategy for it. So we, we do a lot of um, like analysis and think about like, you know, which path should we go down? So the capital that we have, um, you know, we're using it one for hiring, you know, better talent. So we, even though we, we hire less people for quality, we we're going to be paying those ones that are here way more to retain it and grow with us. Um, and now we're doing products. So product is, you know, usually companies that are product based companies, you know, you guys probably know because you have a product tie, you, you have a lot of like burn, you know, on that until while you're developing it and while you're like preparing it for release. So we started services, which was immediately profitable, as you, you heard about my story um, and worked up to now we're at product side. So we can use this to acquire companies that uh, that, that are a great addition to what we do or to uh, invest in the product creation to 
Um, so, so what do you mean by services? products? Is a lot of it like would it be like some automated pen testing and things like that? Is that is that what you mean by a product? No, we have, so we have right now we have two products launched. One of them is uh, an operating system for development and testing for everybody, and the other one is Serif, which is our, our flagship product. Serif is the very first preventative smart contract uh, security solution because everything right now that exists is monitoring. So like watching the chain on block explorers and like, oh, they, you know, there's a tornado cache, like, you know, transactions, like it's already happened. Um, it, it's either that or it's like, you know, auditing, like uh, automation pen testing does not work. Like you can't automate uh, the mind of an, a pen tester, an auditor, especially with this like composability stuff. So what we do is a preventative solution where we act it's a, as a notary. It's on-chain. There's no custody. Like, you know, we don't own assets or keys. But the solution is it lives inside of a smart contract and only the critical ones that are at risk. Um, you know, there's like a wrapper around it and it requires a notary. So if you're an investor or let's say you're a, an institution and you just deployed a bunch of capital to a project, like they can, you know, they're on DeFi. People can swap, do whatever they want. But whenever that like that withdraw function or that proxy upgrade function or the add another admin you know function gets called, that one gets alerted and um, you, you know the notary has to approve it to make sure it's legitimate. So that's what this. So who's is. the who's the notary on the? So how how can be a notary and there's a, it's like as a service that so you can assign um, third party notaries for for Seraph. And you know we we train notaries uh, to help them make sure they know how to, if there's an alert and they don't know what to do like oh is this like a rug pull or not you know we can come in and help look like do a transactional level audit in a way for them and then they approve it and is this it's this really, is live on a number of different projects already or yeah serif co you know you can look okay. at the it's the dashboard so like right now Beanstalk uh, Beanstalk which was a huge hack that happened they just um, got onboarded to our system and we're doing. Um, notarization for them on like their like the emergency commit function which is what they got hacked from before so if there's an emergency commit for a proposal and you'll work with the projects on building thresholds and stuff on notarization and got it 100 yeah that's part of it we, we build like the run it's called like a, a run book or like you know a playbook when this gets called why is it called what's the expected like reason and result for it it's like what what you know, what is the known good state if this gets called then we get alerted does it meet the state Yes, no. Okay, yes, it's approved. Then it's completely transparent. It's like you know, we're, we're running our own like mempool, like our own purgatory, and then we can simulate the contract it, transaction, make sure it's legit, and then we say approve. It's just like bypasses and gets written to the chain. If it's rejection, then it reverts. So we're able to do this product. It's very like nobody else is doing it right now. It's cool. It's cool. My question is, I think it makes total sense. Or have you got any pushback that that's like the antithesis of decentralized uh, in terms we of have, like the fact that, yeah. Yeah, we have. That's like the biggest challenge with it. And I have two, uh, two retorts for that. Uh, the first one is we're a cybersecurity company. We are, you know, an independent auditor. We're objective. It's like saying Cloudflare, like, oh, why do I trust Cloudflare to protect my website? It's like, why would they want to be malicious and like let bad? You yeah, know, I mean, their entire reputation happen. is and their entire. I mean, your entire business would just raise 90 million, which means the valuation is a lot higher than that is based off of this. You're not trying exactly, to reject yeah. somebody's transaction because you think they, you know, you don't like them or whatever. 
100%. And we don't have our own token. Like a lot of like our competitors, they have their own token. So imagine, you know, they're on Uniswap and they're going to like block every other trade except like for their token or something like that. So we have stocks. You know, we're, we're going on Wall Street and going to IPO. Like that, we're on that level, not like, you know, a, a token that you pay to like do your automated scans. Like, fuck that. Like, no way. <laughs> so we, so that's one thing is these, like these oh, other like, firms that have tokens, were these like 2017 things or is any of this newer? And you know what? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I know, like, I don't want to name names or anything. No, no, we're not, I'm not asking for names. Yeah, some of them I, are yeah. older. Yeah, some of them are older and some of them are newer. Um, as a matter of fact, so I don't know if it's like their way of raising capital or like they're trying to, honestly, I, I don't know the mentality behind it, but you know, we, we don't do that. So maybe, they can, maybe they can deploy you guys to uh, verify their transactions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get a security auditor to do the auditing of the security auditing automation. Pro- I love it. That's actually brilliant. <laughs> security yeah. auditception. Yeah. No, so yeah, the other the other side of it too is like you know besides the reputation part of it all is if it's like a DAO. You know the biggest pushback is with like a DAO. Like Beanstalk is a DAO. So how you know, why have somebody there to like be less decentralized and approve things. And, and the fact is like, if the DAO votes us on to be an auditor, then that's okay. That's part of the governance process. So it's acceptable. So let's actually talk about that. Winning DAO proposals, not fun. Do you want to talk about that process a little bit? Well, yeah, there's like two types of DAO. And how, and how centralized the voting is on most of these things as well. Yeah, like snapshot is like the biggest one right now, and I think yeah, the tie. Yeah, you guys, you you like look at all the governance stuff, but probably you'd see all the on-chain things and see like snapshot. So, you know, you have the governance tokens and like the owners of those tokens, and it's like, okay, great. Who who's like the the whale? Like the majority. Yeah, who do we need to get into contact with to make sure that our proposal gets approved? Right. Yeah, and if the pro if the proposal is centralized, even though it's like governance token oriented, it's like. How do you know that they're going to like implement what was voted for too? So uh, Beanstalk, to their credit, they're a great team. They they were doing decentralized governance. It just got manipulated. So that's why we're here to help them do it because they want to move back to like on-chain governance that comes with security risks, like, you know, flash loans to take over all the, the tokens and, uh, you know, that's going on. So that's like when there's mistakes, they keep going back to the centralization and, that's like antithesis again. So that's like why you have to like find that middle ground of acceptability of like DeFi and and security so that you know it can thrive. So that can actually be successful and protect people and also allow this, you know, the whole the whole system to thrive and like grow. So funny, I was actually speaking to somebody and they had submitted a proposal for one of the top five DeFi projects. I don't want to call out who it is. Um could not get it approved, could not figure out why they couldn't get enough votes. And they were asking around and somebody's like, oh, have you called this hedge, this venture uh, fund uh, out in whatever country? Gets on the phone <laughs> yeah. with the guy, talks to him for five minutes. He, he's like, you're approved. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, I just voted the entire proposal. I mean, it's actually, it's so yeah. ridiculous. I mean, the guy literally, you know, they were like 90% of the vote short with a click of a button had so many of the tokens that just, I think, yeah. I think you know, we we all talk about you know decentralization, but in reality, how decentralized are is any of this stuff really? Yeah, it goes back to yes, like this is like the whole thing with like proof of stake and proof of work too. You know, it's like the 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 ones that have all of the wealth and power can can call the shots on it all the time. It doesn't matter even on the you know on on a DAO. So yeah, it's hard to get away from that. Like 
proof of stake, the more stake you have, the more validation power you have. And, you know, if you're going to accumulate and then now you're going to like, you know, accumulate even more power because you're going to get more rewards for being the validator, it just like accelerates that process. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, how centralized is it? Yeah, I, I completely agree with it. And also like, you know, you look at things like USDC or USDT, like, you know, the stable coins that are on DeFi. Yeah, have, have you like looked at the some of the functions on there? It's like freeze or burn or you know it's like. Well, I was. I mean, I was thinking when Wintermute got uh, hacked the other day for 180 million dollars. I'm like, I wonder if Circle is just going to freeze the USDC. That was the first thing right. that went into my mind. I was like, a third of it was USDC. I wonder if Circle is just going to freeze it. Right. Exactly. So I mean, is that centralized? <laughs> you know, hyperbole question, of course, but. You know, you, you, that doesn't really even happen in like traditional finance of having like, can can you go into my like, you know, Wells Fargo account and just like burn all my cash there? I mean, I guess you could, but it's not as easy as some, uh, you know, a key just executing a transaction. You know, it's, there's a lot more politics and in, internal approvals that go on for that. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of, well, I mean, you know, we, we have seen things like banks not calling out names, but, you know. Creating five yeah, million you know, fake accounts system. and like, stuff you're, like that. You're blocking yeah. the system like a whole yeah. country, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's like censorship across there. It all depends on like the access control and the power. And, you know, this is why me personally, you know, I, I see the value in both. Like the whole, I, I like I like proof of work and um, it's like the hash power. You know, I in Halborn, like our internal system with people, we have a proof of work system and it's, with Bitcoin, how it's like you're gamified, you know, all the all the nodes are gamified. How much hash hash power you put in, the more rewards you get. That's how that we are. So people that get hired here, the more hash power they put in, the more results they get, the more rewards they get. And it's like transparent, like everybody can see, you know, what else everybody else is doing, how much they're, you know, they earned. Like we have a point system for like internal bug bounties. And it doesn't matter if it's like you work one hour or you work 100 hours a week. Uh, it's all about like the results and like from that, like a, a good hacker, it takes them one hour to hack a system. A bad hacker will take them a hundred hours to like figure it out. So it's like, I don't care about time. I care about results and the proof of the work. So that's how we run it too. I like it. So let's talk about proof of work. Let's talk about, you know, we, 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 you know, this podcast is called the fundamental value podcast. Yeah. I like to talk about fundamentals, but you know, earlier on we were talking about Bitcoin. It sounds like you're a Bitcoin fan. I'm also a Bitcoin fan. So I feel like the whole Bitcoin narrative has gotten lost the last couple yeah. of years with everything else that's going on. So, you know, yeah. can you kind of let me know what, what you're excited? I mean, is, are you a Bitcoin maximalist? Is that how you would define yourself? Um, or are you? I, okay. So my, me personally, and you know, my, my work, my, my client, uh, you know, client services side of it is yeah. completely different than my personal side. I, I like Bitcoin. I'm not a, a complete maxi only Bitcoin. Like I like Monero too, you know, privacy coins and stuff for that. I like how shielded are Monero it. transactions. Sorry, I want to I want to hit on how private are privacy coins. Oh uh, well, Monero in particular is like extremely extremely private, and it it uses random X. It uses it's not like a private key, public key. There's four keys involved. Like there's a transaction key, there's a view key, there's a private key, and then there's a public key. So if you there's there's no block explorer to like go see where the funds went. Like if you don't if you're not given a view key, you're not gonna know anything. And if you're not given a transaction key, even if you steal the private key, you're not gonna be able to see the old transactions anyway. So it's you know extremely difficult. Um, and you know 
there's no like cracking cracking the keys either because it's like very very difficult to reverse engineer all that mathematically. So Monero is if you ever go on the darknet, I don't know if you've ever been on the darknet before. Like Bitcoin is actually kind of fading away now. It's only Monero on all these like darknet markets. And no Zcash or Horizon or anything else. I, I actually don't. I mean, I'm sure they might. You know, I knew these like zero knowledge proofs. I don't know the deep enough yet on those because um, yeah. they don't. They're not clients of ours. So like I spend my time on the clients more to understanding them, or my own personal like investments. I'll, I'll do it. Yep. Uh, but I think Zcash. Uh, you know, I've heard it's pretty secure. I don't know about um, Horizon. Is one of our clients actually and. But for a completely different reason for like you know NFTs. Um, so back to the question about like Bitcoin. I yeah, love sorry. Bitcoin. I like Monero, and I actually am a huge fan of like NFTs uh, as well. Not for like the whole like art you know flipping of like JPEGs or anything, but the I'm an artist. Like in my studio, and if you notice, like I also have like a bunch of artwork and stuff on the wall. You know, of like things of like comic book art, um, and I like I'm a collector, so I like authentic authentic things and like you know what's the provenance for it you know where did it come from how do i know this is like the original who was the artist here and i like rare rare and scarcity and i feel like nfts is, is a way to do digital you know authentication and and digital so um, what types of honestly. nfts are you most excited about then or like, what specific so, collections or like things that have come out so far and what are you kind of in the future looking for and looking to say I would like to see NFTs as a musician <laughs> with all the guitars behind me um, doing like honest and transparent like royalty payouts for intellectual property. So like a song, you know, smart contract version that represents a song and you can track to see, you know, how many listens there has been. Like imagine like a, a decentralized Spotify or something and you know exactly how many people listen to your song and then the reward payouts are instantaneous instead of BMI or ASCAP doing it. And you can make sure that's paid out correctly. Um, so uh, things like that that will, you know, be beneficial for an artist. I mean, you could see like NFT creators in the contracts, like fifteen percent royalties go directly to the artist. Like once a transaction happens, a trade, they get that money. So I would like. I think that's great for content creators to uh, get, you know, direct, you know, listener, no, peer to ear rewards maybe. <laughs> And this is related to like my isn't, music isn't, business. Isn't Audius trying to do that, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, yeah, 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 they are trying to do that. And um, so their their protocol, you know, I haven't dug into that one too much. There's so many projects out there. I just do the ones that Halborn has as clients mostly. I don't have time to, to audit. I'm, I'm 100, by the way, people, I mean, we're a data <laughs> company, right? I mean, you, you've seen our platform. We have so much information, so much data, and people are like, what token should I care about? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to build the tools. I'm not, I'm not making yeah. the investment decisions. Yeah, how about we have we have like like 275 clients, and like, you know, if if I'm if they're not paying for our services, and it's not me personally investing in it, like, I don't have time to like audit them. So it's like, you want me to my opinion? But we do audit a lot of people. Like we, you know, we we audited you know ApeCoin and, and Yuga Labs, and we're doing like a lot of the stuff there. So I know about the ones that we do have. Uh, but yeah, Audius, uh, I have, I know about what they're doing. I think it's, that's the type of projects I like to see is like real, real value. Like, you know, the, the buzzword, true utility, whatever, but yeah, it's, it's true. Like, I, I think that, uh, you know, more than like, you're part of a, a, a club here that's, you know, you know, building a community for is like, dude, there's so, like, it's already a community, like DeFi community is a, a community. Um, but, you know, having, you know, tied to provenance, I, I really like about art supply chain and, and um, I like about rewards you know 
going directly. I'm all about like cutting out excess, the, the whole efficiency side of me, I'm obsessed with efficiency, like un, you know, middle, middle men that add no value to transactions except extra time and extra payments. Like if you could bypass that and just have like a consumer to like seller or artist to, uh, uh, you know, to listener or like financial institution to borrower directly without all the excess, like that's the kind of shit I like. And so, you know, one of the questions that we ask all our guests, right, I kind of alluded to late, earlier was about fundamentals. So what do you think, you know, as you think about a token that accrues value, right? You know, obviously a stock has earnings and revenue and dividends and things like that. What do you think are, you know, fundamental to, you know, understanding and evaluating tokens? I think supply and demand is what it comes down to, you know, if you have scarcity, if it's something like Shiba Inu, where the some supply is like crazy or Dogecoin, where it's just like mining, every block reward is like so crazy every minute. It's like excessive supply is going to drive value down. I mean, that's just like basic economics, right? I think that's like the fundamental value. If you have scarcity, like, like Bitcoin, 21 million cap, you, even if it gets hacked, you can't mint new coins, you can't change the block reward. Even if you have a 51% attack on Bitcoin, which is not going to happen, you can't create more tokens that don't exist already per block. You can't, you can double spend ones you already have, but that's temporary because, you know, the, the, to maintain the, the cost of that hash power, it's like, why not just mine Bitcoin yourself? You know, it's like more profitable that way than paying for it. So I think that's the fundamental value for it is like supply and demand of, of it. You know, what's What's the, the market cap, uh, essentially? We actually haven't seen that many 51 attacks, 51% attack recently. It feels like that's kind of been, uh, yeah. I mean, we yep. saw what three 51% attacks on Ethereum Classic in like 2018, 2019. I feel like that's kind of, and it's yeah, like, you know why? Kind of a little because bit out of the conversation these days. Yeah, but you know, the reason why is because there's less proof of work systems coming out and not too many like left. I mean, even Ethereum now went to proof of work, proof of stake. But proof of stake, can, you know, some of them you can get, it's a 31%, a 33% attack, you know, is if you have 33% of the stake, that's like the logic to like validate blocks. So if, you know, so can you be like a in control of a, a proof of stake network if you own 33% of all the stuff? Like, you know, who owns all of the Ethereum right now for a proof of stake right now? Like some of the major validating companies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Coinbase or Block Daemon, all those other ones. So they, you know, can they, can they control the blocks? We'll see. <laughs> um, and so, you know, last uh, or two final questions. You know, what in what in crypto has you most excited right now? Right now, most excited is. I think the most ex like excited project or just like anything, anything. Yep. I think the most exciting thing for me is, in a, on a positive note, probably all of the excess like leverage getting kind of washed out recently from like this like liquid staking stuff and getting back to like normal on it, like with uh, Celsius and like all the stuff they're doing with you know speaking to like in, in financial institution people they probably get it like um, I I saw it coming when you have you know investment locked in a central area and then they're making a derivative like a liquid version of that and they're reinvesting that and then that's like a derivative <laughs> it's like 
2007 financial crisis all over again. It's like when it, un, when it all unwinds, there's going to be hell to pay and, you know, shit's liquidity is going to get locked. And we just saw that happen. And I'm glad it happened to like stop, stop it for now um, and get back to like more of the fundamentals of values of it, I guess you could say. And so my last question for you is what's next for Halborn and what's next for your music career? <laughs> okay. So with Halborn, we're just going to keep on scaling. Um, now we're moving into the product side. We're a solutions company and we're working with some of the, the biggest companies like in the whole space, not just like in blockchain. So we're going to continue to provide high quality um, you know, products, develop more, provide institutions and, and other companies in the fashion world, the banking world, and some of the layer one projects, uh, you know, more services. And eventually the long term is to, to get into uh, gaming, uh, you know, game fight. IOT and, you know, essentially our, our goal is like, yeah, we want to go public, um, you know, with, uh, with the company too, to, you know, be one of the top, top security companies uh, in the world. So that'll happen in, in, in uh, we'll see, you know, things happen really fast recently. Um, for my music career, I, so what I'm looking to do is with my background of touring um, in a band in like a bus, I don't want to do that again, <laughs> but I do love playing live. So I would like to create with my music that I'm working on a immersive experience for, for live performance, kind of like a Las Vegas residency, you know, own the venue, have a, you know, play the concert, but make it, you know, virtual reality headsets and have an immersive concert, um, you know, be able to like have augmented reality and, you know, sell tickets like through NFTs. So it's like, I don't need Ticketmaster or Live Nation, just directly to people. It can show proof of attendance at the concert, maybe airdrop them some rewards for like attending like free shirt redemptions and, and have, um, you know, ha just have that like, you know, get the instead of a virtual world that translates into live, have like a live world that translates and uses the virtual world to you know make it more interactive and, you know, be able to like have like immersive uh, you know music it doesn't have to be you know in a complete stadium, but, you know, have it, you know, for the people that want to be there. Even if you don't like my, my music, it's still a cool experience that you want to go like, see anyways. So where can people find out more about uh, you, about Halborn, learn more about the offerings, and then where can people find your music? I think that's also a cool addition. Yeah, so for Halborn, halborn.com, um, we have a lot of blogs on there, like hundreds of them. You can read about all the findings. We always keep them up to date. And um, me personally, I'm kind of, an antisocial social person. So I don't have Facebook. I rarely update my Twitter because I'm like always working or making music. Uh, but you can, Twitter is the best place to message me that I'll see it. And um, if you want to find about the music, this the project of all of this stuff is I'm currently working on it when I have my free time, which is very rare you know, for the past like couple of years. Uh, it's called Dead Code. Keep an eye out for it because we have a music video coming out in about two months for the first release. But my old music, you can definitely find anywhere. Um, Stellar Revival is the, the band I was in before on Capitol Records. So that's on Spotify. That's on iTunes. That's you know all over the place. It's on Guitar Hero, too. Uh, so Stellar Revival. I play guitar for that band. Awesome. Well, this was awesome. I learned a ton, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners did. Uh, thank you for, for, for coming on and would love to do this again in the future. Awesome, man. Had a great time. Thanks, man.